Hello and welcome to Healing From Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of A New Life Awaits, the final book in a trilogy that shares the thought that our challenges are not economic, political, or societal, but a disconnect from our true being or soul wisdom. Today I welcome Robert N. Hardaway, Professor Robert N. Hardaway, author of Saving the Electoral College. Uh, he is a professor of law at the University of Denver Stum College of Law, where he teaches evidence and civil procedure and election law. Hello, Professor Hardaway, and thank you for joining us on Healing from Within. I am very pleased to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Robert, as listeners of Healing from Within are so well aware, my esteemed guests and I explore all aspects of the human condition in order to discover more about living a more authentic and productive physical life journey while exploring our human and divine capacity to grow in wisdom and love for self, others, and live life hopefully with honesty and integrity as the law provides for. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Robert M. Hardaway discusses the case for the continuation of the Electoral College, explaining how the Electoral College actually works, how it is supposed to work, and how it might be formed. He first looks at the Constitutional Convention, the Twelfth Amendment, and historical elections where the Electoral College has come into play. Perhaps we can understand the 2016 election, which caused many pundits and citizens alike to decry the Electoral College, and the 2020 election and problems leading to a huge rally in D.C. when Congress tried to determine how to certify the electoral votes from states uh, that appeared to um, maybe have questionable voting practices. Robert, I always like to ask my guests to think back to their childhood and remember a person, place, or event that might have signaled to them or those around them the values, interests, and lifestyle they might embrace as an adult. For I feel our destiny or life plan is with us at the beginning, and we, uh, we search to unfold within us the experiences that most advance our inner development or soul development and the reasons we chose a physical life. So think back to what was most well, um, important to you. Well, I, you know, it, it sounds um, provincial, but I, I would have to say my father because he was, um, he was uh, our doctor, a young doctor at Pearl Harbor when it was attacked and treated the very first uh, wounded as they were coming in from the, from the attack. And he spent the rest of his lifetime uh, dedicated to uh, uh, saving, saving lives, doing his research, and uh, shock and, and wounds and uh, battlefield wounds and also in um, intravascular coagulation. And he's, uh, he just passed away a few months ago at the age of 104, and he was an inspiration and has been all through my life. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful life. I was thinking of the story uh, that you might tell when you first became interested in the Electoral College as a high school student at St. Albans in Washington, D.C. So tell us about yes, that. Yes, we were, we had a, uh, it was a voluntary class, but we all volunteered in, in, in our class. 
It was on Thursday nights, and we would invite someone from Congress uh, to come and give an exposition on a particular political issue, and we would be divided into two parties. And uh, I was the leader of one of the party, and a fellow named Al Gore, that some of you may have heard of, um, was the leader of the other party. And uh, the the issue for debate at that time was the Electoral College. So that's how I got introduced uh, to it. That's how I first happened to uh, uh, research uh, what John F. Kennedy said in 1956 when he was a senator, in which uh, at that time it was Republicans who thought that uh, the Electoral College was was rigged against them. So they were challenging the Electoral College. But it was John F. Kennedy who finally uh, persuaded them that, first of all, you can't abolish the Electoral College unless you really abolish the Senate. Uh, he, He pointed out that we have a whole solar system of government power. And it's all the result of the Grand Compromise, which created the United States of America, uh, which meant that every state uh, would get equal representation in the Senate. And, of course, every state's weight in the Electoral College is based on that equal uh, suffrage in the Senate that each state, each state has. And, of course, the last sentence of Article 5 was meant to guarantee that Grand Compromise, which says you can't abrogate that equal suffrage in the Senate. Um, unless every state agrees. And, of course, that's the whole basis of our Electoral College and why John F. Kennedy said we have a whole solar system of government. You can't change one uh, like the Electoral College unless you also um, abolish something like the the, the U.S. Senate. And that's why some people do uh, advocate abolishing the Senate, because they know the Electoral College is so intertwined with it as part of our essential federal system. And, uh, you know, the New York Times also, back in... uh, uh, back in 2000, when, when Bush uh, won the election by just a couple of electoral votes, um, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, there must be something wrong with the Electoral College, because that was the second time in history that the Electoral College hadn't, uh, hadn't uh, synced with the hypothetical, and I'll explain what I mean by hypothetical in a moment, the hypothetical popular vote. And uh, it, the New York Times at that time was, I think, quite courageous, and they said, well, you don't like Bush. But um, this happens even in parliamentary democracies. In 1974, Labor uh, uh, had elected more members of parliament to their electoral college. They call it a parliament. And then they chose the uh, they chose the leader and they compared that to the total number of votes for MPs. And they said uh, there were more total votes for MPs than there were uh, MPs elected. And so, but nobody at that time said, oh, we have to bring down the parliament, we have to abolish parliament. But today, if anyone loses an election, um, then they they want to undermine the foundations of our whole republic. Because if it hadn't been for the grand compromise that brought this country together in the first place, um, we wouldn't have had a United States of America. The vote was only eight to seven in the uh, in the in the in the uh, Constitutional Convention. Yes. It was in the last minute. The whole country was about to break apart. Uh, there was going to be no constitution because the big states uh, demanded uh, representation by population. The small states said no. Uh, we want equal representation. And it was uh, and Benjamin Franklin who, at the last minute, uh, said, "Let's have a compromise." Let's bring everyone back together. They were all leaving. Um, George, George Washington said, we're not going to have the United States of America. This isn't going to happen. And then, and, then, and then Benjamin Franklin at the last minute came in and said, let's have a compromise. We'll have a Senate, uh, which every state has equal representation. We'll have a House based on population. We'll have an electoral college that's based on the, the two electoral votes that, that each state gets. It was part of the grand compromise that created the United States of America. Without it, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a United States of America. We'd be pretty much like South America with seven or eight different countries. You know, Robert, what I learned from your book, I learned a lot, but 
I learned that it's never been any different. Politics and the setting up a government and getting different states with different needs to come together. It was only 13 states then, and now we have yeah. 50 states. So, so it, we go through these cycles, uh, but there is a reason that the founding fathers uh, set up the Electoral College, and I agree with you that it must remain and it is important. And Kennedy firmly responded, this is from your book, that while direct election purports to be more dramatic, it would in fact increase the power and encourage splinter parties, with the result that presidents would be elected with only a small percentage of the popular vote. History has shown Kennedy's concerns to be accurate. Uh, yes, uh, you just only have to look at the Russian system. They have a so-called popular vote system. That's what some people want here. I guess a lot of people are sort of enamored of the, the Russian system. Uh, the French have adopted the Russian system. They have a so-called popular vote system. And in 2017, three million voters were so outraged by the system that they cast three million uh, blank ballots. What happened was... They had four or five candidates. They didn't have a two-party. Well, they had a two-party system, just like we do. But uh, without the without the channeling effect of the Electoral College, you had four or five candidates. You had an extreme right-wing winger who got 23%. You had an unknown that nobody knew much about and was not very happy with, got 21%. So they had a, a sort of illusory popular vote um, runoff. And the voters were so outraged because uh, two-thirds of the electorate were opposed to both those people in the runoff. So you had you elected somebody with really only 21% uh, support. And that's what happens in these Russian-style elections. But people still want to undermine our, our whole uh, federal system, even to the point of trying to abolish the Electoral College, upon which the Electoral College is based. Well, let, they want to abolish the let me say something. I, I sincerely feel that the Founding Fathers were spiritually guided to present a blueprint for the world to see a government that could work for and by the people and eventually bring equality, even though at the time there wasn't complete equality in our nation with the 13 colonies. There were problems. There have always been problems. But we are moving towards always evolving uh, towards a better system. So tell us what you feel the Founding Fathers had in mind by establishing the precedent. I know what they had in mind. They had the best system throughout uh, maybe this na not this well, country, this world, this world. I don't know about other worlds. Well, I have world. I have to say that one of one of their main concerns was bringing together thirteen colonies that were really fighting against each other at the time. Right. Uh, George, uh, George the Third was already gloating that they were they were not going to be they were collapsing. Uh, they were putting up barriers uh, against each other, tariffs. Um, New York and Pennsylvania were forming their own amalgamation. Uh, the smaller states were forming their own amalgamation. And if it hadn't been for the Grand Compromise, no one liked the Grand Compromise, of course. That's the, uh, to be a successful compromise, everyone has to hate it. <laughs> because if, uh, otherwise, <laughs> so it's what brought the country to, to, uh, together at that time. But the secondary concern, um, the primary concern is to create the United States of America and to accommodate every, every state. Um, but the, the secondary concern was to make sure that a president, unlike that happens under the Russian system and the, and the, and the French system, uh, they wanted to make sure that a president was elected who had broad support across the country. Um, they didn't want one region or one area to be able to 
to predominate. In other words, let's say in the 1950s you had a segregationist candidate with a popular vote system who had got 90% of the vote in the South for a segregationist candidate. And even though that candidate might be opposed on the rest of the country, if they got a huge majority of votes in the South, that one region could dictate to the rest of the country. And so they wanted to, to have a system in which no particular region or no particular area would be able to predominate. That's why in, uh, in, in 2001, after the election of Bush, uh, the New York Times said the nation's founders sought in various ways to create checks and balances. Yes. The Electoral College was first a compact among states, and the whole idea was to make sure that no, that no region or area or group obtained too much power. It's the checks and balances that were so, that were so critical. Our Electoral College is really the same as, very much the same as the British Parliament. It works the same way. Um, the British people elect uh, MPs. They call their electors MPs. They go to their, their Electoral College. They call it a Parliament. And then those electors, or MPs, as they call them, then vote for the, uh, for the leader. And uh, back in 1974, Labor got more MPs elected. That can happen sometimes. It's happened three times in, tw in 200 and some odd uh, 228 years here. And yet, because that happens three times in uh, every 82 years, people want to abolish the whole federalist system of our republic. I don't. I, I, I'm just. And that's just not right. <laughs> it's not. I hope it doesn't happen. But James Madison wrote this. Might, it might be interesting for our listeners to hear. This government is not completely consolidated, nor is it entirely federal. Who are the parties to it? The people. Not the people as comprising one great body, but the people as composing 13 sovereignties. And it's no different. Now we have 15 states and different needs and all the people must be respected, attended to, and um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, people people think that oh, they shouldn't have compromised. Now there was a separate compromise that some people get mixed up. Uh, they had to make a compromise with the southern states. Otherwise, the southern states said their concern wasn't big state, little state. They had big states, so they weren't concerned about that. Um, they had uh, Virginia, North Carolina, and so forth. What they were concerned about was not equal, equal representation in the Senate. They were concerned about representation in the House of Representatives. They wanted to have representatives based on their populations, half of which were slaves, consisted yes. of slaves. And the North, understandably, said, no, we can't go along with that. We mm. don't think you should count slaves at all because they don't have the right to vote. Why should you get to get representatives of Congress based on your population of slaves? And the South said, fine, we'll form our own country. A lot of people said we should have let them. I don't think so, no. because uh, it might have saved us the Civil War, but we'd have a slave state on our doorstep for the next hundred years. So I think that we had to get the slave states in, and they did it by this, this so-called infamous three-fifths. Otherwise, this, uh, that, was the, that was the compromise that brought the, the, the slave states in. But it had nothing to do with the grand compromise. Um, that, sat, that Benjamin Franklin proposed uh, between the big states and the small states that were breaking apart into different countries at the time. Again, nothing's ever been different. We're, we're reliving history all the time, and we hopefully will continue to get it right so that uh, our founding fathers, who were very wise and, and 
all suffered greatly as a result of those times, uh, will be proud of us from above. I would like to think that. Now, you expose the national popular vote movement, which seeks to abolish the Electoral College by making readers aware of its agenda, financing, and goal of effectively amending the constitutional process by a means that takes place under the radar of the general public. Now, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things well, that that yeah. that want to get well, rid of the Electoral College. Yeah, well, actually, uh, they say they want to get rid of the Electoral College. That's actually not what they want to do. They're not saying they want to abolish the Electoral College. Rather, they want each state to allocate its electoral votes under the Electoral College system based on the hypothetical popular votes in other states. So if, for example, your state goes for one candidate, the, the, uh, those states that, that sign on to this cabal of states, they've got 15 states in this, in this scheme, cabal, and they'll say, we'll disregard, we won't pay any attention to the voters in our state, but we'll look at what other states are doing. And um, if other states say the popular vote in their states is uh, elects a particular candidate, we'll go against the will of the people of our state and cast our electoral votes in accordance with the hypothetical popular vote in other states. But, of course, that's that's an illusion. There is no popular vote in other states. Of course um, not. Right now, when you go into the voting booth, you don't vote for a presidential candidate. I'm still astonished. Some people still say, you asked who you voted for, and I and they say, oh, I voted for Hillary Clinton. No, you did not. You voted for an elector, just like they do in Great Britain. They but, vote for but, an elector. They but call we don't, member of parliament. But we don't know who the electors are. Most, well, we don't matter, just like a, just most like people don't. I know, they, they don't, but the point is, they know what party they're in, just like in England. They may not know their uh, MP personally, but they know he's a Labour Party member, and so they elect him with the expectation that that, that, that Labour Party MP will go and elect a Labour Party um, leader. So you're voting um, so for the it works with, you're voting for the party. The yeah, that's what, yes. And uh, but some but to, but to, but to try to translate uh, votes for an MP in the UK or votes for an elector in the United States to try to translate that into a so-called hypothetical popular vote doesn't make any sense at all because the electors in many states aren't even required to vote for the person they're pledged to vote for. So how do you count popular votes for unpledged the electors? Back in 1960, um, Alabama and Louisiana uh, both uh, offered um, the parties of each of each party offered slates of unpledged electors. They said, "Well, wait and see if we get to the electoral college." And uh, five voted in in, uh, in Alabama, five voted for Kennedy, six voted for Byrd. Now, how do you count the popular votes for those electors? There's no way to do that. Um, I've always suggested that all states require their electors. Uh, to vote for the person that they're pledged to, um, but no one listens to me. And as a result, um, some states do not require their electors to vote for the person uh, they're pledged to. I filed an amicus brief last April. That's and, strange. Uh, went to the Supreme Court. Went to the Supreme Court, and I was arguing on behalf of Colorado because we have a law that says you have to vote for the person you're pledged to, and uh, then you could be replaced if you violate your oath. And 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 so the 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 uh, there were those who said, oh, no, that's that's a violation of the Constitution, which is absurd. Under Article 2, every state can so, allocate their so how do, <clears throat> so how do they pledge? They write it down? It's written down? Um, yeah. They, they, it varies from state to state. Article 2 says that um, 
elect that uh, legislatures can choose their electors uh, any way they want. Prior to 1876, uh, the the elect the legislatures themselves chose the electors. Since then, they've delegated, I think, quite properly to the people of their state to to choose their elector slates. But um, if we were to adopt this MPV, so-called MBVIC, it's financed by these really mil- these millionaires uh, in in California mainly, uh, who want to disrupt the whole federal system. Why do um, they want? We to adopt- why do they want to do that? What? Well, what will know, be the you outcome? Get, you get, I think one, one got his money by in lotteries or something like that. But at any rate, um, you know, some people I got to say, you know, some people when they get rich want, want yachts and fancy houses. He wants to undermine the entire federal system of the United States government that created oh. the United States of America, and so they form this cabal and this scheme that they're not gonna they're gonna reject the uh, the will of the people of their own state in favor of a hypothetical popular vote, um, which, and there's no such thing. So it's completely illusory. And even if it passed, um, you have to, under the Constitution, if you form a compact, states aren't allowed to co- form compacts under the Constitution like this anyway, unless it's for things like water rights or something like that. But you can't undermine the federal structure, which is what this would, what, is what this would do. But let's say that the, um, somehow the Supreme Court said, oh, it's okay, they can undermine the Constitution, we don't, we don't mind. And so that this, let's say, 15 states representing 270 electoral votes did pass this national popular vote interstate compact. Well, you, in order to be constitutional, you would have to be able to withdraw. Uh, and so in the next election, a couple of states might change the uh, composition of their legislature so they'd withdraw. So you'd have a different election system every election. Uh-huh. I mean, that's, talk about changing the goalposts um, for every football game. Well, I certainly don't think that's the best way to go. I don't think most people would think that's the best way to go either. But there have been other contested elections like the one we are now seeing in 2020. Uh, Tell us something about that. Well, um, It was the 1960 election, I know. Which was oh, well, the 1960 election? They didn't know who had to win the popular vote because they couldn't figure out how to count popular votes for unpledged electors. Uh, the New York Times um, counted five sixteenths of the popular votes cast for the Alabama electors, in which case Nixon won the popular vote nationally. Other newspapers did it a different way, a different mathematical calculation, and said, "Oh, we think that there that there would be." Um, uh, that the, the Kennedy won the popular vote. So it was basically left up to the newspapers. Thank goodness we had an electoral college. If we had had um, a so-called popular vote election and we had to have a recount in an election that close, we would have had recounts in 50 states, for goodness sakes. You know, if anyone remembers the trauma so, in, 19, in uh, 2000, we just, had, we just had to do it in one state. Can you imagine multiplying that trauma by a factor of 50? Pretty bad. It, it just boggles the mind. Yeah, so what do you think... T- happened in 2020. Do you think something went wrong with the Electoral College? Well, I, I think people have been pleading for years. The You know, it used to be that absentee ballots, you had to get a doctor's prescri- a prescription right. and so forth and so on. And then they used the kind of the, the excuse of the of the pandemic to say, well, um, people can send in these, 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 uh, these mail-in ballots. Well, what people don't know is that amounted to voter suppression because Two percent between one and two percent in over thirty-five states, they 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 ballots got thrown out because they didn't dot their eyes or cross their t's or put the signature in the right place. So that means that millions of voters were disenfranchised. Now, 
I, I disagreed with Trump trying to claim he won the election. He should never have said that. But what he could have said is, look, I'm conceding the election, but this absentee ballots where you suppress millions of voters is, is not acceptable. Right. We need to change that. Yeah. Then we could have focused on uh, the, the, the integrity of the elections. And, you know, when people go to the voting booth, which is a solemn, a solemn uh, responsibility, civic responsibility, they make sure you cross the T's and cross and dot the I's and make sure your votes count it. And to allow people to just sort of get lazy and say, I don't want to mess with going, uh, waiting in line. Well, that's um, exactly what happened. We got, they got lazy with the procedure because the procedure would benefit certain people. And we want to have that without a shadow of doubt. Our citizens need to know that it's being done according to a plan. We don't just act pell-mell and do what we want this year and next year we do something else. We need to have a a more regular way uh, for voters to vote and trust trust the plan. So I want to thank you, Robert N. Hardaway, for helping the ordinary layman to have a clearer understanding of the Electoral College which so many citizens do not, and to understand the fine workings of our Constitution and Bill of Rights to assure, as our Founding Fathers intended, that safeguards be available to protect the Electoral College. To learn more about this and to protect this safeguard in our democratic republic, go to abc-clio.com or amazon.com. In summarizing today's episode, Professor of Law Robert M. Hardaway has performed the most needed service towards educating the public about problems in elections in the past, so perhaps we can understand and the present problems in the nation caused recently in the 2020 election, which half the nation thinks was disrupted by local state representatives and uh, ways to secure the vote uh, due to a pandemic and fears that people could not show up at voting polls uh, will be rectified. It is thought that the millions of unsolicited ballots sent out caused a shift in how the election turned out that influenced the Electoral College. Americans have been spoiled by over 200 years of peaceful elections in which almost all cases have produced an immediate clear-cut and undisputed presidential winner, even in such razor-thin elections as the 1960 election. Two exceptions generally prove the rule, the elections of 1876 and 2000, and now the election of 2020. Uh, uh, 1888, actually. 1888. Yeah, 1876 was a sui generis. There was no popular vote there at all. It was elected by a bipartisan commission. Okay. Oh, I do have the election of 1876 listed here, but it was 1888. All right. right. So we will go on to, we begin to see throughout the course of our history There have been some problems between political parties, ideology, and national elections. To those who think this is the first time contention and conflict uh, has affected our citizens, that's simply not so. Robert and I would hope during these challenging times in our nation's evolution, 
we would have you remember we are all Americans and the dream of our founding fathers was to live in peace, prosperity and eventually equality for all. Their intentions were extremely ambitious for those times and still even for now but they are in the best interest of our continuing constitutional democrat republic. Remember how far we have come and how far we still have to go. I am your host Cheryl Glick author of A New Life Awaits, Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening, and invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to listen to and read about visionaries, scientists, metaphysicians, educators, legal advocates, and those in the arts and music discuss ways to know life on its energetic and physical levels and to improve the quality of life with greater passion for love happiness, truth, justice, and prosperity. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you.